Get right into the message tonight. Psalm chapter number 51. It's a bit of a heavy message, to be honest with you, but it's a, I think, and I hope and pray uh, it comes out this way, but it's a good message. Uh, it's a message for anybody that wants to serve Jesus Christ and is stuck in a sinful body in the meanwhile. Uh, anybody that knows what it feels like to fail. Uh, anybody that fails and feels bad about it and wants to do right anyhow. Uh, this is the message that you need. And I'm telling you, every one of us needs it, but most people can't hear it. You're just Most people aren't going to be able to hear it. I hope and pray every one of you can. But I'll tell you, most of the people in this world can't hear this message. The Bible says in Psalm 51, To the chief musician of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now what aggravates me is that the whole world knows and loves this story. They make movies about it. They want to focus on it. They all remember David for this one thing. And that aggravates me. That shows how filthy and rotten their stinking hearts are. So every author of every movie that put a movie out about it, every actor that participates in it, every loser that wants to sit down and watch a movie like that but won't come to church and sit under the preaching of the Word of God, uh, they need a heart check. Uh, it, It makes me angry because David was a great man and remembered for a whole lot more than this. And yet, this is a huge warning to you and I, because even a great man like David, a man after God's own heart, a man that wrote so much of our Bible, could fail on such a colossal level. The Bible says in verse number 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So what he asked for is not just the mercy of God. He's not just looking for the cold mercy that says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. That's just cold mercy. What he wants is the tender mercies. He wants something, he wants something a little deeper from the Lord. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about his own spirit. Because in verse number 11, then he points out the difference. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. 
Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon mine altar. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and help us, God, to get the help we need out of this passage tonight. We all need the help. So we ask you to give us help tonight that we can, Lord, learn what it means to truly repent and to mean, know what it means to really get right with God in every way, shape, and form. Help us to be able to cut through all the foolishness of our sinful hearts, of our minds, of our uh, self-justifying, and all the rest of that stuff, and to be able to genuinely do business with God like David does here. Lord, we've needed it before, we need it now, we need it daily, and we're going to need it in the future. So help us to get this message tonight. We pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you on true repentance, but it's important to notice before we get into the subject matter where the thing is written. He says, to the chief musician of Psalm of David, notice when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So let's go back there and get the context here real quick. Look at First Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel, please, chapter number 11. Second Samuel, chapter number 11, we're going to look at these chapters and kind of skip down through here a little bit. And I want to show you what David did. And I want to show you why it is that David winds up really coming out of this thing as good as is humanly possible to come out. I mean, with the divine help of God, a man couldn't do something that David did and come out any better than David came out. He did the best he could after he messed up. He did the very best that was humanly possible with the divine touch of God on the mess that he had made to come out of that thing as good as possible. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1, it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Anybody see the problem? You know what the problem is. It says it, came, it was the time when the kings go forth to battle. But David didn't go forth. God had given him so much victory in his life. He'd been through so many scrapes. I mean, by now, I think if I remember doing the math correctly, I should have done it again for this message, but to do the math, if I did it correctly in the past, and my memory serves me right, he's somewhere around maybe early 50s or so at this point in his life. He's no longer a spring chicken. He remembers back when God delivered the lion into his hand, when God delivered the bear into his hand, when God saved, delivered Goliath into his hand, when God saved him from King Saul and God built an army of men around him. He'd gone through that period where God had given him Judah but not yet Israel and, and the war was between the house of Saul and the house of David and the house of David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. All this on the heels of what had happened with Ziklag and all the rest of the victories that God had given him when he's hiding down there and he's going out and declaring war and he's coming back and he's tricking the, the king down there that he's on his side and all the rest I mean all the mess that he'd been through in his life all the victories that he'd seen and God has established him and built him he knows how things are going to work out even though it might get bad now in his life he's at a point where when it gets bad whatever God gives the victory in the end everything's fine God's going to work it out and he's not really all that intense anymore about what he's supposed to be doing did you guys hear the song we just sang? Now to watch, to work, to war. 
and then to rest forever. You don't get to a point in your Christian life where you get so easy, you get such the easy street, so much victory, so well established, so strong, so many victories that God has given, so sure about God and your relationship with Him and knowing that He's always going to work it out like He has in the past, that you don't do your job, don't fulfill your duty, that you're not active and on the job and doing what you're supposed to be doing whether you really need to or not. It doesn't matter if you've got guys there that can handle it. If you're loafing around at the house and God's giving you a job, you do your job because it's your job to do. It does not matter if you've got help there that can do it for you. It's your job. I've received some criticism for not letting enough people preach when I'm home. Not by you. You know why? It's not because I'm afraid of somebody else doing a good job. When I bring in preachers, I try to bring in the best preachers in this country that I can find. Because I think you deserve, I want you to hear from the best. It's not a matter of a competitive spirit. You know what it is? It's my job. I'm not going to, some guys around here that can preach and can do a great job. And you know what? As the Lord opens up doors, there's the opportunity. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be gone. God opened the door. There's your chance. God opens doors for you to preach if you're called to preach, not the preacher. God gives you opportunities if you're called to preach. And that's one of the signs that you are called to preach. And it's not just your ego or your emotions. God Almighty opens a door for you. But that doesn't mean I'm getting out of the way when I'm here. I'm going to do my job. I need to be in my office. I need to be in my Bible. I need to be on my knees praying. I need to be preaching. Why? Because it's my job to do it. It keeps me out of trouble. When you got a job to do, you do your job. Mom and dad, you can't farm out your job to the school system. It's your job to raise the kid. Don't be derelict in your duties. David wound up in sin because he was derelict in his duty. He should have gone out to battle, and instead he sent Joab. And look at verse number 2. It came to pass in, even, in an eventide when David arose from off his bed. He didn't stay home to work. He didn't stay home because he had a bunch of meetings that had to be taken care of and a bunch of politics that had to go on and he had to meet with the cabinets and he had to figure out what's gonna, what we're going to do about infrastructure and there's a dearth in the land regarding the wheat this year and I just my calendar slammed full. Joab, can you handle this for me? No, David was home loafing. He just had his feet up relaxing. Let me tell you something, parents. You know, the kids are home from school all year. You need to keep them busy. My dad always said, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. And boy, is that true. You put them kids down in front of technology and you just let them veg out all day long and keep their feet up on the couch and chill out. I'm telling you, you're asking for trouble. You're training them to get in trouble. They are destined to mess up. They're destined to wind up in sin because the Bible says that your flesh is wicked and it's bound for sin no matter who you are or how spiritual you are or how godly you think your kids are. They are flesh and flesh is sinful in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You can't trust your flesh. So here he is in verse number two. He's loafing around. Some of you young men, if you're not busy enough yet in life, and just tell you that if you just do things God's way, eventually you'll be real busy. <laughs> the older you get, the busier it seems to be. It seems to be, you seem to get. But when you're not too busy, fill up your own schedule. Put on some tennis shoes and go out and run. Go to the gym and sweat a little bit. And when you go to the gym, don't just hang out and stare at hang out and stare at the mirror. 
It's called working out. You should be sweating when you go to the gym. You're wasting your time if you're at the gym and you're not sweating. You should be breathing heavy. It should hurt. The next day you should be sore. You should actually get a program. Understand, don't ask me. I got enough other things to do. You can go Google it, okay? Figure it out on your own. But listen, get a program and whoop your body into shape. Fill up your schedule. Say, from this time to that time, I'm doing this. I'm not sitting around Googling. I'm not sitting around watching stuff I don't need to be watching. I'm not sitting around idle. I'm going to make myself busy until I get busy enough in career, till I get busy enough with the family, till I get busy enough with kids, till I have my own house I got to repair, my own grass I got to mow. Keep yourself active doing something. Don't loaf around. You're going to wind up in trouble. Good advice for young men, right? Yeah, don't forget, David's not young anymore, technically, in this passage. He's loafing around when he should be busy. And he goes out on the roof and he sees a woman washing herself, verse number two. And she's beautiful to look upon. You know what he does next? He inquires. You know, some of you kids, you hear all these terms out there on nowadays and you hear this new thing and there's always a new thing, LGBTQ, XYZ, and it just keeps going. What's that? You know, do you know that it's okay sometimes to not know what it is? Yeah. My dad always said curiosity killed the cat. Sure. So you just got to know what that is, right? You got to know what the latest twist and perversion is, right? You got to know what the latest sick thing is in somebody's head. No, you don't. Every once in a while, it's okay to say, you know what, I don't want to know, I don't need to know, it don't matter. Why is he inquiring about her? What he should have done is when he walked to the edge of the roof and saw something he shouldn't have saw, he should have spun around and ran like Joseph did, but he didn't. He wanted to find out some more information. You better be careful about, I'm just asking questions. You better be real careful about that. That, that idleness. You see what's happening to David? He's slowly but surely going down a road that probably had been happening for a little while now. God had given him plenty of wives. God had allowed him to have more wives than God even necessarily wanted them to have. God told the kings not to multiply wives. But David had gone ahead and got him a few wives and concubines at this point. The flesh never has enough. Never satisfied. So you know what David does? He sends the messengers, right? And they take her and he comes and he's making excuses, I'm sure. In verse number four, she's purified from her uncleanness and, you know, she's, she is bathing in, in sight. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's her fault. I mean, I mean, I've even heard preachers say it. You women ought not be showing it off. I'm a man. I'm going to look. Yeah? Listen to me. That ain't an excuse you're going to use before God when you see him. You can't be blaming it on her. Amen. She has her own responsibilities before God. That's between her and God. And she has her own responsibilities. What I'm trying to tell you is that that is not an excuse. Just because you saw something you shouldn't have saw or somebody dresses inappropriately, that's not your excuse to allow your mind to go places. It ought not go. You're fixing to get yourself in trouble. And hey, there's nobody to blame but yourself because you know better and the Spirit of God's told you already. But David's going down a road he ought not go down. So you know the story. David then goes and decides he's going to try to cover it up. And he brings Uriah in. He tells Joab to bring Uriah, send Uriah to David. And, and Uriah gets sent to David. And he wants to know how the war is going. And he tries he to get, get Uriah uh, uh, all, all happy, feeds him and everything else, and sends him home to his wife. Because Bathsheba had told David, hey, I'm pregnant. So he's trying to send Uriah home saying, well, then, then the timing will line up and everybody will think and Joab will think it's, uh, Uriah will think it's his baby. 
Well, Uriah's a man of honor. Uriah didn't get home. David calls him in the morning, hey man, what's the deal? Why did... He said, listen, Joab's out there, and Ark is out there, and Judah and Israel are out there, and you think I'm going to come in here and go and enjoy my, my, my evening, my time off with my wife and all the rest of that while all the other guys are out fighting? I'm not doing that. He said, I'm, I'm staying here. So David gets him drunk. I mean, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. You know why? Because his sin caught him. And then it's like, oh my word, panic zone. I got to do something about this. And now his cover-up ain't working. You know what happens when you get caught, you messed up bad and you get caught? The first thing you want to do is cover it. You know the worst thing you can do? Try to cover your sin. So he tries to get him drunk. He's thinking that if he gets him drunk, he's going to lower his character. Because that's exactly what alcohol will do to you. It'll cause you to do things when you're under the influence of the alcohol you wouldn't normally do. So David gets him drunk. But the man's character rests deeper than that. He's a soldier. So he still doesn't go home to his wife. So in the morning, David writes a letter and he seals that thing and he gives it to Uriah and he says, go give this to Joab. And the instructions in that thing were, make sure that you get Uriah into the hottest part of the battle, get him up close to the wall, retreat, and make sure he gets killed. Joab sends a letter back to David. Hey, the job's done. David looks at the letter and he says, tell Joab not to stress himself about it. The battle kills one just like the other. You know what David's still doing in his mind all through this chapter? He's still in his mind covering up, covering up, covering up his sin. And he's finding ways to justify it like, oh well, I mean a lot of my guys are dying out there. The battle could have killed one just as well as the other. Uriah might have died anyhow. He was out there fighting, you know, just okay, well whatever. He's finding ways to justify not just adultery, but now murder. He is that man's captain. He's that man's king. He's supposed to be leading that man and setting an example to that man, and he murdered him for his wife. You know, according to the Old Testament, what David's got coming to him? Death. Look at chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan unto David. He came unto him and said unto him, There are two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, and the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Uriah treated Bathsheba well. He loved her as the only wife he had. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared not to take of his own flock and of his own herd. David had plenty. He had plenty of wives. He had concubines. To dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing, and look at it, and because he had no pity. You know what's mind-boggling about that? David is infuriated because somebody killed somebody's puppy. Just to put it in something we relate to. Man, you got three dogs and you stole his dog? You killed his dog? He loved that dog. 
He cuddled with that dog. That was his oogie boogie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it infuriated him. And he said, how could you be so pitiless? You know what I noticed about that? Sin will blind you. Your own sin. All you'll see is what somebody else did when you can't even see what you did and what you did is so much more horrible than what they did. But sin will deceive you and sin will blind you to where you're justifying adultery and murder and then you want somebody else, God, to get them for taking somebody else's lamb. Now watch what happens. Nathan said unto David, said to David, Thou art the man. I'm sure when he said it, he said it with a bite. I'm sure when he said it that there was there was because I'm a preacher, I understand. I'm sure there was some level of apprehension in him because he's standing before King David, but this ain't the King David I've known. And I've seen Saul go from being one thing to another. I've seen a lot of men fall. And I'm going to go in here and give this man a message God gave me to give him. And I might die for giving him this message. He might have my head. So he had to, I'm sure he had to just say, Lord, my life is yours. And I'm going to give him the message you want me to give him. And if I die, I die. So when he gets to that point, man, it doesn't matter anymore. He's decided to kill the fear. He's decided to put the fire out and the fear out and the apprehension out. And he's walking in there saying, listen, I'm going to give him God's message, God's way. And if I die, I die for it. I am sure by the time he got to that point, he was in and he was coming at him 100%. Thou art the man. Now, that's my sanctified imagination, but you heard all my reasoning for why I think by the time he got to that point, he was at it. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I set him up. You killed him. And hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll rise up against thee out of thine own house. And I'll take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit by this, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Notice that. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. You notice what he tells him. He says, listen, you killed him, you murdered him, and as a result, you thought you hit it, you thought you got away with it, you did everything perfectly, man. It was the perfect murder. It was the perfect adultery. It was the perfect cover-up. You covered all the bases for your sin. You thought you got away with it, but the only problem is, hey, listen, you got that wicked Joab to get in on it, get in on it with you, and listen, man, because of Joab and David's relationship, they had each other blackmailed, and it was just a bad 
bad relationship that never got any better. David should have off Joab a long time ago. And after this, David should have off Joab. But that's another message for another day. You thought you got away with it, but here's the problem with your sin. God saw it. All the cover-up in the world didn't really cover it. All the shenanigans and all the games and all the got away with that one, there's a problem with it. You can hide it from the eyes of everybody. You can hide it from your wife. You can hide it from your husband. You can hide it from your mama. You can hide it from your daddy. But you cannot hide from Almighty God. And God said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not putting up with this. Nathan departs in verse number 15 out of his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. It was very sick. David therefore besought the Lord for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. It came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? They're worried about David's mental health. People that know him the best are watching him. They're worried about his physical health. They're worried about his emotional health. They're worried about his mental health. David is so crushed by what David had done that the people that are watching him, are, they're worried about they're going there trying. They're trying to pick him up, and he's not even talking to him. He's just, what it looks like is he's just limp. He's just, just, David, come on, David, come on. So destroyed by his own sin, that if I, if I know David right, if I'm reading it right, he can't even look at the people that are there to serve him because he's their king. Can you put yourself in his shoes? Can you imagine how that would feel? Notice in verse 18, it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead for they said, Behold, while the child is yet alive, we spake unto him, you not hearken unto our voice. How will he... Vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead. But when David saw that his servants whispered, he was in tune with what was going on. He knew what was happening. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He's dead. Then David arose from off the earth, washed, (laughs) anointed himself, changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Ain't that wild? Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. And said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast, and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat. He said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. me. That's how we know babies go to heaven. One of the verses right there. Verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. I have a note in my Bible here that says, the first time he showed true love for her was after he got right with God. It's the first time you show David actually showing true love to Bathsheba and comforting her heartbreak. But it was after he got right with God. Everything up until that point had all been about David. 
She mourned for her husband when David killed him. Here's what's really interesting. Keeping all this in mind, go back to Psalm 51. Somewhere between Nathan sticking his finger in David's face and him getting up and going back into the house and sitting down and eating and bathing and going to comfort Bathsheba, I think it's somewhere in here that he writes Psalm 51. I think it's probably somewhere during that seven-day fast when he's trying to get right with God that God's giving him the inspired words of God to pen down so you and I know what it looks like when somebody truly repents from the sin that they committed. Because your title says to the chief musician of Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in unto Bathsheba. Nathan comes in, sets him all up, makes, a, makes an embarrassing spectacle out of himself. Sevenfold, he's going to store, he's going to die. And then he says, you're done. You're the man. And instead of being a typical Christian, so whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, she was on the roof. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I mean, what about, I mean, they all die in the battle. I mean, why, why do you got to be there? Bathsheba's to blame too. Who are you to talk to me like that? Why'd you set me up? Why didn't you just come in and give me the message? Why'd you let me make a fool out of myself instead of any of that? I don't like the way you preach. Why you got to talk so harsh? Instead of that, he said, thou art the man. And David said, oh, my words, you're right. I'm the man. And he bows the knee to God and he allows the preacher to give him the message and he accepts the message as it is. And he begins to do what every one of us ought to do and that is truly repent when God shows us we messed up. Look at three things in the passage and we're going to move fast so don't worry, okay? First of all, when you mess up, if you truly repent, you're going to make confession to God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He confessed to God that he's the problem, nobody else, and nothing else. It is God, I'm wrong, and you're right. And the reason I'm in this spot is because of me, and I sinned against you and you only. That's a wild thought, isn't it? You know, when you truly get right with God, when you truly repent, it isn't about everybody else. Think about it with me. Did David sin against Bathsheba? Yeah. Did David sin against Uriah? Yeah. Did David sin against Israel? Yeah, he's their leader. I mean, from all the ways we would define it, you could legitimately say, David, you sinned against me. David, we looked up to you. David, we trusted you. David, you are in a public position of our trust. You're the man of God. You're the king. You're something else, David. You're the deliverer of Israel. Look at who you are. You sinned against us. 
And listen, if you were David or I was David, man, I would be like, guys, I am so, I cannot even look you in the face because I sinned against you. I failed all of you. Can you imagine that feeling? But you know what that feeling is? Watch this. It's tricky. Watch this. That feeling is me. Do you get that? Think about it. I sinned against you. I'm so embarrassed now of the way you're looking at me. I'm losing my position. I'm losing all that I've worked for. I'm losing all that I've earned. I'm losing. I'm really embarrassed. That's all about me. That's me protecting myself. That's me trying to make restitution with you so I can hang on to what I have. I want you to still respect me. I want you to still look at me like you used to. I don't want to be defined by what I did. Please don't judge me by that. Please let me go of that thing. David's not playing any of those kind of games at all with anybody. He said, God, you're the holy one. You're the righteous one. You're the just one. You're the one that wrote the rules, and I broke your rules. Everybody else has too. You're a sinner, aren't you? You've got spots on your life, don't you? I mean, whether you've actually gone and committed the deed or not, you've wanted to kill a person or two. You know? Okay, you know, we, never, we wouldn't go that far. Some of us in the room might have felt that way from time to time, you know? Whether you committed the deed or not. I mean, if a man look on a woman to lust after he committed adultery already in his heart, so who's better than David? So what David recognizes against thee and thee only have I sinned. You know what Nathan the prophet told him? The message from God. And we read it in 2 Samuel 11. What did God say? You sinned against me. You know what David's saying in Psalm 51? God, the message you gave me is the right message. You said when you sent the preacher to me by the word of the Lord that I sinned against you. And God, it is you that I sinned against and you only. I transgressed your laws. That word transgression is a deep word. There has a lot of meaning to it. Look at Psalm 50 and verse 17. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. That is a transgression. Transgression is rebellion against the instructions that you were given. It's a breach of command. It's violating a law or a known principle. You know what David did? He transgressed. He rebelled against the instructions he was given. When you don't like the Bible, Bible preaching, Bible rules, or you will go against what the book says, or you violate the Bible in any way, shape, or form, it's a transgression. You know why you need to teach your kids to do what they're told? You know how you can test an employee? <laughs> Just tell them to do something. Don't even say it nice. And you'll see when they get this, well, yes, sir. Yeah, you got a rebel problem. Was that the boss talking to you? Then, okay, sure, no problem. Anything else? And you do it the way you're told to do it. Why? He's the boss. Not asking to do something immoral, illegal, against God. Then do it. Even if it's the wrong way, do it. Why? Hey, you know what? Your nature is to transgress. It's just to go against a command. It's just to go against what you're told. It's to just naturally go the wrong way. And David said, I was told not to take another man's wife. I was told not to kill. I knew that in the book. You told us that a long time ago, and we all know it. And guess what I did, God? I transgressed. You want to get right with God, true, true repentance requires confession. 
He confesses his transgressions. Look, at he confesses his iniquity in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David understands all that he had done. He gets it. He knows what he did. He realizes what he is. He recognizes that he is the problem and he messed up. Iniquity is seen in, in chapter 50, verse 19. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. That's iniquity. It's crooked dealings. It's injustice. It's unrighteousness. It's a want of rectitude, which is, which is righteousness in principle. Iniquity is wickedness. You know what he recognized? God, what I did was crooked. I didn't just transgress. When I transgressed, I began to try to cover it up. There's iniquity. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wiggle my way out of it. I'm, I'm trying to wickedly, wickedly cover up my sin. So my sin was horrible. It was already worthy of death. And on top of that, I added iniquity to my transgression because I went and tried to murder the, I did murder the man. How did I get here? Well, it's, it's the deceitfulness of sin. It, it's the power that sin has. It, it pulls you in. And then once it pulls you in, it just keeps pulling. And so that mind starts working double overtime, man. You're trying to figure out how can I get out of this because I'm caught. And I don't want to be caught. I mean, she got pregnant, man. No way. Now what? And so now I'm going to cover it up. Now I'm just adding insult to injury. He recognizes it. He admits it. Notice what else he admits. My sin, in verse number two, my sin, in verse number three, he says, is ever before me. Look at Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. That's the opposite of sin. Sin is a matter of wandering from the right path. You notice what you see in David here? He wandered from the right path. The right path would have been going out to battle. That's where it started. It didn't start walking up to the edge of the roof and seeing a woman bathing. That's not where it started. It didn't start with lounging on his bed. That's not where it started. The sin started when he wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was dodging his duty. He had other things to do. He wanted to just have his leisure time. He wanted to just chill. He wanted to just relax, you know. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of us complain a lot about our jobs and how busy we are. What do you want instead? You know what you want? You want, you know, holidays. You know, go to Europe. You know, they got tons of holidays. And sin is just multiplying as people get less and less busy, as our children are entertained more and more, as they're addicted more and more to their iPads and iPhones and televisions. The house is falling down around them. Everything needs to be cleaned. Everything needs to be painted. The lawn needs to be mowed. The flowers could be planted in the flower bed. And if there is a flower bed, you could be weeding the flower bed. There's lots to do. I mean, stop stuffing your clothes in the drawer and fold them and put them away. See how good it feels when you actually accomplish something. You're laughing. Don't even think about looking at my drawers. If you get anywhere near them, man, I mean, telling you what. You understand what I'm saying? Sir. The sin started when there was things to do, and instead we're just going to take our time and be idle. We're not going to go where we're supposed to go. We're not going to be where we're supposed to be. And then he winds up all the way down this road and in this position, and he's fixing to reap what he did for years to come. When somebody's truly repentant, confession is made, and then, number two, cleansing is sought. Look at verse six. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When somebody's truly repentant for their sin, the first thing they do is they fall on their face like David did and they're broken hearted and broken spirited. They don't even care to eat. Not even hungry. That's an appetite of the flesh. If you're sorry for your sin, it's because your flesh got you into something and you aren't tuned into that flesh right now. You're sick of it. You want God more than anything in the world. So you'll lay there for seven days and refuse food because the filthiness of what happened, the disgustingness of it, the tiny, short little pleasure was not satisfying. There's nothing you would ever do again. But it's too late. You did it. So now what do you do? You confess it. You don't hide it. Such an absence of excuse making in David. There was absolutely no, does not any of you feel sorry for me that the son of Jesse is trying to take my throne? There's no soul in him at all. There's no excuse making at all. There's no Judas coming in later and, hey, I don't, I, give him back the silver. See, David's caught. The difference between somebody truly repenting and somebody who's just sorry because they were caught, not truly repenting. Listen, it looks the same. I mean, Esau saw the place where he's with tears. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, forgive me. Will you forgive me? Please forgive me. He was upset because he didn't get the birthright. That was the problem for Esau. It had nothing to do with his relationship with God. It had nothing to do with the filthiness of his sin. It had nothing to do with the fact that I'm self-loathing. Good! Go tell your therapist I said it. Amen. If you sin against God, you ought to self-loathe a little bit. You ought to say, hey, I'm wicked before God and I'm sorry for it. Sick of this, this ridiculous mindset in this day and age that you live in, this philosophical mindset, this, this, this playing around with people's psyches. Listen, their psyche will be healthy if they'll get right with God. You keep playing around with that stuff and you're going to drive them further into drug addiction and further into the mess they're in. I'm self-loathing. Yeah, David was self-loathing. That's a great place to be if you're doing it the right way. Esau... What's wrong? God's not giving me back my birthright. No, you sold it, stupid. In just one moment of weakness? Yes, in one moment of weakness, you showed that what mattered to you more than the blessings of Almighty God on your life was your stinking belly, and you sold it for a pot of pottage. That's what mattered to you. So now you've got to live with it. Well, I'm sorry. God says, Jacob as I have I loved, and Esau have I hated. God said, I don't care if you're sorry. God, please. Oh, God, please. No, get out of here. Why would you be so harsh? He's trying to get right. Now there's a difference, folks. You've got to understand that. When somebody's getting right because they don't want to live with the repercussions of what they've done, that's not repentance. That's a brat that wanted to go do what they did and now doesn't want to have to pay the price. You don't find any of that here from David. 
strangely missing from the passage is, God, please, that thing you said about the sword not departing from my house, please, God, not that. Not one time. You don't find David throwing it up in God's face later when Absalom goes and slays Amnon. Not one time. When the first report comes from that wicked Jonadab, Amnon's friend, comes back with the report telling David all the sons... No, they came back and gave him a report that all the sons were dead. Jonadab came back and said, no, they're not all dead, just, just Amnon. When he, when he first found out all his sons, he never makes an accusation against God. He just says, yep, I deserve it. Do you see the difference? Somebody that's truly repentant, they're not over there making excuses for themselves and and upset because now they have to deal with what they did. They accept what they did. They confessed what they did. And now what they want is they just want that cleanness in their heart back. Verse 6, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right I had a right spirit at one point, but God, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah told us that. God, my heart took me away so fast. Got me so quickly into enjoying the leisure of life. Enjoying the victories and blessings of God. My heart drug me away from my duties as a king and got me messed up. God, do a miracle. Create in me. He didn't say restoring me a clean heart. Because, you know, I really have a good heart. He really has a good heart. She really is a really a good-hearted person. You know, I know I messed up, but I'm really a good-hearted person. Not truly repenting. Why is it that just for one little short time in my life, I, I made a mistake, and now everybody holds it against me? Not truly repenting. You reek like Esau. You stink like Judas. You look like Saul. David says, God... I deserve it. And I'm longing, God, for you please to clean this filth out of me. I don't like what I am. I want the joy of the Lord back. I want the cleanness of my spirit back. I want a clean heart from God. Hey, God, renewing me a right spirit. My spirit was so bad when I looked at that woman. My spirit was so bad when I tried to cover it up. My spirit was so bad when I justified it. God, give me back a good spirit. I miss the fellowship with you. Nowhere is he asking God to retract the judgment. The cleansing came from him seeking God to do what only God can do. In verse 7 he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. What's he talking about? The Bible is so hard to understand. Well, if you study it the way God tells you to, here a little, there a little, let the Bible explain the Bible. The best commentary on your Bible is your Bible. You can look it up, and we're not going to for the sake of time, but in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 through 6, hyssop was used in the purification process, the cleansing process under the law when somebody had leprosy. You know what he's admitting? Leprosy is a type of sin. He's admitting, God, I'm, I'm made up. My flesh is wicked. I messed it all up, God. I'm a train wreck. And God, I want you by your word and by the goodness of God and by the miracles you can do, I want you to clean me. I just, God, God, I want to be clean. You know what that is? That's true repentance. You ever think about the word repentance? Well, what is repentance? 
there's a big debates that always go on over repentance. I stay away from all those guys because they're a waste of my time. God repented. You ever see that? Yeah. Repentance is a change of mind. God wasn't turning from sin. God changed his mind. When you and I repent, it's when we change our minds from the way we were thinking to match the way God's thinking. We turn from the direction we were going to go the direction God's going. And that's what David's doing. He truly repented because he confessed his sin without blaming anybody else and took full responsibility. When he did that, he didn't blame God, didn't blame anybody else, took full responsibility. Then he's seeking a cleansing from God. He wants cleaned of the mess. He, he wants away from it, out of it, washed of it. He's not seeking relief from the punishment of it. He's seeking cleansing from the pollution of it. Does that make sense? When you ask God, when all you're worried about is, God, please erase the punishment of my sin, God did not erase David's punishment. The baby died, and the sword didn't leave his house. And what God said would happen to his wives happened to his wives. All the punishment came. Listen, when there is no punishment, you embolden the sinner. You see it happening all over this nation today. The reason all this stuff is happening is because all these, you know, everybody's all about these liberal prosecutors or whatever else is going on with the laws nowadays. Exactly. So when there's no retribution or punishment for your actions, sin will go rampant. It will be pure anarchy. God Almighty knows that. So God says, when you mess up, you're going to reap what you sow. It'll keep you from doing it again. And it'll keep everybody else that saw you do it from wanting to do what you did. True confession, true repentance, confesses the sin, but seeks a cleansing, a cleansing with a clear understanding of what God's looking for. In verse 6, he has it. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me to know wisdom. He knows what God wants. Look at verses 16 and 17. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. What's God looking for? Somebody to pretend they're broken hearted so they can get what they want out of God. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're so, you're so stinking selfish. If I, if I do this, then is God going to do? Stop it. Yeah, Santa Claus in the sky. You think, because you, the way you were raised, you think God is some big, jolly, overweight goofball in the sky. God's looking for a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. And when God sees you on your face like David, pour out your soul before him, not justifying, ready to take your punishment, sick of your sin, and seeking a restored fellowship with God. God doesn't despise that. He's merciful, he's long-suffering, and he's got tender mercies. That's the same God that said, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And Saul, I gave him to the devil. And Judas, oh, he's burning in hell forever. Why? Because don't, God don't play games. You can't, you can't trick God. He knows you better than you know you. God ain't going to despise you if you're truly looking for clean, true repentance. Last point, and we'll go. 
the cause he was committed to. If you're truly repentant, you're going to recognize there's a cause. There's a reason for you to get right with God. There's a reason for you to keep going. There's a reason for you not to quit just because you messed up. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Old Testament, New Testament, you're sealed with the Spirit, so that doesn't happen. God will take your life, literally. He'll put you in an early grave. God will take away the blessings He's given you. He'll take away your family. He can take away your home. He can take away your health. Take away your wife, your health, your life. And God will also take away your millennial inheritance or your rewards at the judgment seat. But he can't take his Holy Spirit from you in the New Testament if you're born again. But in the Old Testament, he could. And David's asking God, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Look at verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Skip down to verse 20. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they they offer bullocks upon thine altar. You know what I noticed in that, especially in verses 13 and 18 and 19? You know what he's asking God when he's getting right? He's asking God... Well, first in verse 11, he wants the relationship back. You know, that's a cause worth living for. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why should I truly repent? Because of you and him and nothing else. So he's seeking that. Look at another cause. Joy. Restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. I don't want to be miserable, do you? I, 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 got, I got one life to live. I want to enjoy every day that I can enjoy. I mean, a friend of mine called me today and said, man, I, I wish I was always as positive as you. I said, you just got to get to be a better liar. <laughs> I said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. How are you? But really, I, I don't want to be lying about it. I really want to be good. I want to be good every day. How are you doing? Good. Everything's falling apart. Yeah, I know, but I got God. Wouldn't that be great to live like that? True repentance, being right with God. That's why he's looking for it, because, man, when you ain't right with God, you lose that joy. It's gone. Verse 13 and 18 then. There's another cause. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know when you've learned to truly repent and God's cleansed you and forgiven you and restored you, you can help somebody else. That's a reason reason not to quit when you messed up. That's a reason to learn how to get right with God so you can help other people. And you can do it compassionately and not like some arrogant idiot Christian self-righteous, thinks you're all holy rolling, you can actually get down on their level and give them a hand up. They can sit down with you and talk about their problems and not feel like you're all high and mighty because you're like, yeah, I've been dirty. I know what I am. That doesn't mean you have to go, like Dan said in testimonies, that don't mean you have to go do a bunch of wicked stuff. It means you got to recognize who you are in the eyes of God and how sinful you are. I don't care if you've never drank, never smoked, never cussed, never looked at something wrong. I don't care how clean you think you are. Learning to repent and truly seek God's presence. Notice something else in verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. You know what he's asking God to do? He's asking God not to let what he did be a breach for the devil to destroy the people of God. He's looking at the big picture because didn't, didn't, the, didn't the preacher tell him, God said you've given the enemies of God great reason to blaspheme? Yeah. 
You know, he's saying, God, I know I did that, but I'm asking you, keep this place up. I'm asking you to put the walls up. I'm asking you to bring glory to your name here in spite of me. Because you see it in verse 19, then thou shalt... Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. You know what he's saying? God, I'm getting right with you. I'm confessing. I'm repenting. But God, part of this process here, I'm worried about everybody else. So he says against thee, thee only have I sinned. It wasn't like, well, I don't owe anybody else an apology. I don't care about nobody else because it was just, that's between me and God. None of your business. It wasn't that spirit. The spirit was, I see who the perfect one is and I see what I am. Man, God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And God, I want to be clean. I just want to be clean so bad. And God, I want you to use me to help all them people that I hurt. You say, I haven't done anything like that yet. Good. Oh, man, good. Thank God. I know a lot of people better than you and better than me that have. But you know what you better learn to do right now? You better learn to repent now. Of the little stuff. Of the thought process. Of the road you've been going down in your mind. Of where you've been going in your spirit. Of the little bad attitudes that you got. Of the small breaches in your life. Of the little sins. Of the dereliction of certain duties that you should be taking care of. Because David never imagined he'd ever get himself in this position and now here he is. Learn it to get right, true repentance. Learn it to see the little sins. It's not that big of a deal. As a big deal before God will keep you from ever winding up in this place. True repentance. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what it says before that in verse 7, I believe it is? It says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I trust in the blood the day I got saved. That's right, you did. But you know what you do for your fellowship? You continue to trust in that blood to continue cleansing you. And man, it requires some repentance and getting right with God. I say it this way. You should be as good of a confessor as you are a sinner. You know why David stayed in the throne, didn't die, and wound up pulling out of this and doing something for God with his life in spite of the mess he made and had to live with? He had to live with it the rest of his life. But it wasn't over. You know why? Because he truly repented. He knew how to confess. He was as good of a confessor as he was a sinner. And I think something that's lacking nowadays is our understanding of and ability to confess. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I am.